0: I'm Kim, and welcome to Sotork's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 29th, 2014. Join us as we talk with Kate Eggert and Chrissy Gosney of the Save the Santa Monica Boulevard Streamline Modern Campaign for the riveting saga of their astounding grassroots preservation efforts to save these important structures from what looked to be certain demolition. So stay tuned.
1: Los Angeles.
0: El Pueblo, Lotus Land, the City of Angels.
1: The Day of the Locust, the slide area, where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear.
0: But you and I were born here. and Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They
1: add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main.
0: As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway.
1: Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city.
0: Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules.
1: Rainer Banham said that.
0: He taught us well.
1: In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz. Now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation.
0: Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia.
1: Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore,
0: memory maps, mysteries, murder,
1: the allocation of resources,
0: the hidden forces that shape public policy, skid row, bunker hill,
1: preservation,
0: restoration,
1: redevelopment, it's
0: a four-letter word,
1: Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look,
0: and listen to the stories,
1: and pass them on. Why are we doing this again?
0: Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason.
1: So did Rayner Banum.
0: So we did. Now let's begin.
2: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Herbina between South Pass and Highland, Hard Grand
1: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 29th, 2014. This episode, we'll have interviews with Kate Eggert and Chrissy Gosney. They are the people behind Save the Santa Monica Boulevard Streamline Modern Campaign. This is the the Streamline Modern Dog and Cat Hospital in Melrose Triangle. It's across the street from the Troubadour, and there are two buildings. there. We're going to get into all that. Actually, two buildings. But um, this is an interesting episode because I'm going to interview them simultaneously at the same interview. And the interview is one hour. So it's like two 30-minute interviews except there's no... it's, It's the narrative of this grassroots preservation campaign. It is breathtaking. It is fantastic. It is something Kim and I have been cheering them on talking to them on the phone in the evenings when they're Uh, the yoga of despondency is what we like to call it around here so so we're just we're going to get into all that so we're very excited it is now time pishka maven for you to make your announcement
0: to make my pishka pitch well if you've been listening to the podcast you know there's a digital tip jar it's associated with the podcast and if you like what we do and you'd like to contribute in some way you can make a donation digitally and it helps to support us in our work as we travel the southland looking for wonderful people to interview for you to listen to uh furthermore it is a wonderful boost to our morale whenever we're working really hard and i say richard someone jingle jingle jingled into the pishka pot so if you want to make us happy you can throw a little something in it's never obligatory but it's always appreciated and we're very very grateful to be listener supported and not advertiser supported so thanks
1: all right, Kim. Good. Let's let's get to closely watched trains. We still we have a lot to talk about to introduce Kate and Chrissy, so we're we're going to keep moving. Okay. Closely watched trains. First closely watched train, uh, most of these closely watched trains are side effects. We're not we're not explicitly talking about the issue raised, but sort of issues around them to keep track of. First closely watched train, the city of Los Angeles is considering um, ordinances regulating vendors in city parks. This is specifically in response to the reopening of Echo Park and a lot of street vendors coming into the park. Uh, a lot of council members are concerned that they're taking up space where people could be recreating and they're selling, which is which I think is a valid concern. Uh, I don't really want Kim to talk about whether this ordinance or any any draft of this ordinance or any ideas around this ordinance is good or bad. We certainly had our, 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 we had our belly full of st- street vendors and ordinances in the LAPD and letters from the city attorney's office when we ran the Art Walk. And I don't want to get into that. But I, I do, what I do want to put on the table is I want everyone to realize that when it comes to vending, when it comes to uh, anything like that, the city of Los Angeles has really, really bad guidelines. Almost none. For instance... And this is the point of of this watch train. There are no ordinances governing farmers markets. Okay, so all the farmers markets that happen in the city of Los Angeles, they're ad hoc, and the city is trying to create or an, an ordinance whereby one single ordinance that every every farmers market has to follow. And my understanding is, having attended incredibly boring Pershing Square Advisory Board meetings, that if the city ever implements an ordinance like this, all the farmer's markets will stop because the fee will be too expensive. That that It will be so high that the, the organizers of the event will say, thank you very much, we're going to go elsewhere.
0: And then we'll just have basically like taco trucks driving around with vegetables, and that'll be fine with me. You know, Richard, I, I didn't send you a link to this because I, I actually found it so absurd, but apropos of complaints from community members that, oh, you know, these vendors are now in Echo Park. And when I say vendors, you know, these aren't people grilling corn. These are people basically having the worst yard sales you've ever seen in your life on, on blankets. They're, I think they're just hanging out and, like, selling stuff for beer money. It's, it's pretty lame. But people are also complaining, as NIMBYs always will, about um, exercise classes, paid exercise classes that are meeting over in the meadow at Silver Lake. So essentially, nobody likes any organized use or any atypical use of public parks. And it's really hard for the city to figure out what sort of ordinances they're going to apply. And if they make sense, you know, across the board, every park in the city. Does it make sense that every park in every community uh, functions exactly the same way?
1: And are there civil rights violated?
0: And should a park have grass? That's what everyone's asking about Pershing Square because we have this Pershing Square restoration campaign and we want to bring back the 1910 John Parkinson plan. And now now that it seems like, you know, people are actually going to talk about that around this uh, design competition, folks are asking me, "Well, is 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 this, you know, is this a water safe park? I'm sorry. Shouldn't parks have a little grass after all? Thousands of people are going to enjoy every blade."
1: Oh, yeah, I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to stand out on a limb here. Go ahead. If when Persian Square is redesigned when I celebrate my seventieth birthday. When, when it's redesigned, I'm forty five now. Um when it's redesigned, I hope that that a good a good twenty percent of the park at least is, is grass. Thirty percent, yeah. I i I hope that they have a, a good good visible part of the park, grass, and that's okay. Because it's a public park and people use it. Everyone uses it, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna move on. So that was that was watch train number one. Watch train number two is more of a shout out. I just I I we can't go, and I'm I'm really sad. But this is this is a this is this is personally this is a closely watched train for Kim and I. Uh, <laughs> UC Bakersfield is having a wait. Is it a UC? I'm sorry, Cal State Bakersfield. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. There is no UC Bakersfield. Maybe when you're seventy. W- maybe I doubt. It. <laughs> I think, High speed rail, man. Come on. I I think the regents are really correctly just kind of keeping a lid on it. Um and I think the, okay. <laughs> I don't want to get into the Cal State trustees. Would
0: you just get into Bakersfield? That's Bakersfield.
1: Bakersfield, Cal California State University, Bakersfield, October twenty fourth evening, Friday, October twenty fifth, twenty sixth, Saturday.
0: Twenty fifth even.
1: 24th Friday, 25th Saturday. Saturday the 25th is the self-guided tour of Bakersfield 30s Modernism. Okay, this is a closely watched train for Kim and I. We love going to Bakersfield and looking at old architecture. We I actually have xeroxed the uh, Bakersfield Historic Resources Directory, and we go around and we look at where all the the um, carriage, the buggy chains. Oh, there's one. We found it. Okay, there's, so this is very exciting. On Friday the 24th, they're having some sort of reception, and they're going to have pictures, and some of the professors involved are going to talk. And then Saturday is the self-guided tour in the day. And I, just, if anyone goes, post to, Instagram, post to social media.
0: Yeah, and tag us. But, you know, we're going to be relaunching Wild Wild West Side on that Saturday. So we'll be on the bus. And uh, hopefully this will be something they'll do more often, and if nothing else, they'll publish this list, the self-guided tour list. You can't go into all of these properties on other dates, but at least you can go out and see them. And Bakersfield is also site of, of a terrific programmatic structure, a shoe repair store shaped like a shoe. No longer functioning last time we were up there, but but still looking pretty sweet. There's some good stuff in Bakersfield
1: yeah the really really good stuff so so if anyone goes keep keep us posted, okay, we got two more watch trains, okay at the historic cultural commission meeting this week on the second the second this this coming up this Thursday, they're going to have a presentation on the notion of a public notification system for demolition out of building and safety. So in other words, what would a program through building and safety look like wherein, when a demolition notice is given, it is made public? And by that I assume they mean machine-readable. But I don't know. We're we're not going to be able to go to the meeting because I'm rebuilding the website. But I'm hoping someone will will be there using social media and will keep us posted.
0: Yeah, and if uh, a regular list was coming out of potentially... Demolish, demolished buildings, buildings that were in the line for demolition, it wouldn't be hard for using you know, Google Street View to pull them up and see what you're looking at. And it would be so important when historically significant buildings are on the chopping block. Of course, it wouldn't make a difference when you have scofflaw owners who don't care that they're not allowed to knock buildings down, but it, it might allow some sort oh, of...
1: Oh, Kim, no, it, this would be... If, if they produced a machine-readable feed of demolition permits, it would, it would be a game changer because everyone would, everyone would know. Everyone would be able to know.
0: Yeah. But you're going to have to do something more than the five year scorched earth policy for the demolition of a historic cultural landmark because that, that, you know, if, if you knock down a building that's potentially a landmark that hasn't been named one, it's kind of at the discretion of building and the safety, whether they do anything. If you knock down a real landmark, you can't build on it for five years. This isn't enough of a punishment.
1: Right, Right, right. Yeah, Kim, yes. But just just raising the consciousness will get more people huffing and puffing and kvetching to Ken Bernstein. Okay, this is, this is really, I'm very excited. This is, this is going to be a tipping point if this happens.
0: I'm excited too, and, I, and did, did I not jump up and down when I when I read the, the agenda, Richard? Agendas, hey, machine-readable agendas are great. Take heed, Pershing Square.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, Pershing Square Advisory Report that publishes its agenda by pasting it on a window a day before the meeting. Yeah, God bless them. Okay, so um, moving on, uh, Steve Lopez last week wrote a little piece about neighborhoods – in West Los Angeles, unhappy with mansionization and these loopholes. Again, I, I'm not here to talk about the Steve Lopez article. I think it's, it's. I think. I think everything he does is just sheer genius. So there's no no question. Um, I I do bring this up because there are a number of side effects of just throwing out this idea of loopholes in the ordinances surrounding mansionization and historic preservation overlay zones. Uh, a lot of so this, this article talked about a lot of homeowners who are happy with what's happening and a lot that are not. And the ones that aren't are trying to get this ordinance about, like about mansionization uh, on the fast track to be changed to protect them. And I think that's a daydream because I think it takes a long time to pass ordinances. I think people should be looking to historic preservation overlay zones that they want to protect their neighborhoods and get an HPOZ implemented in their neighborhood. But, can you brought up a very good point.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, a property owner who's concerned that they're going to build one of these McMansions, and a McMansion is a property that really expands far beyond the usual footprint of a normal home. So they'll take a single-family home site, but then they'll build something that really goes out to the property line. It, it creates a lot of shade, For surrounding structures, it ruins sight lines. People's views, instead of being trees and pretty old houses, end up being, you know, blank walls. Or people end up with um, balconies that look out over their neighbor's properties. It's kind of crummy. So the people um, who Steve Lopez was interviewing were saying, you know, this is impacting our property values. These developers come in. They knock down these old craftsman houses. They build these giant things. They sell them off because it's a desirable neighborhood. And when they leave, it's less desirable and my property's worth less. People who are looking at it that way probably aren't thinking, wow, I really want to do the work that it takes to figure out what the overlay zone borders should be for our community to give it a distinct identity and to protect all of these houses, because they probably want the ability to build a second story on their place if they think it's appropriate. So it may not be a preservation issue as much as a self-preservation issue, and they may have a long wait if they don't want to really put the nose to the grindstone and, and help save everything historic which
1: is what we believe in. Right. And so just just, because we're going to move on, just so I think the the, the, the takeaway from this is people that are concerned about the mansionization ordinance is going to take a long time to get that tweaked so that a lot of people are happy with it. Already in place is a really good HPOZ system. And if that's the path you think is right for your neighborhood, you should you should focus your energies on that. In my opinion, if that's for you,
0: and hurry up because they're knocking down West Hollywood and and West Hollywood adjacent, like you wouldn't believe. Well,
1: the City of Los Angeles has no control over West Hollywood, but West Hollywood adjacent, like Parisian Florists, which is a commercial structure and not, I don't believe, eligible for an HPOZ. But yeah, there's there's a lot of concern.
0: You're right. The problem is, I grew up kind of in West Hollywood and kind of not on the border, so my my permeable membrane of West Hollywood borders kind of warps in my head, but I'm very concerned about that little area around Sunset and Fairfax, not all of which is outside of the border of the city of Los Angeles, and they're losing a lot of really charming housing stock, and once it's gone, it's gone, kids.
1: Kim, you're, you're the last generation that grew up in what is now West Hollywood when it was just called Hollywood. Which was a amalgam mixture of the city of Los Angeles and unincorporated Los Angeles County, and we have confirmed from several Alta that before the city of West Hollywood existed, when you were in unincorporated Los Angeles County, they just called it Hollywood. But you're the, you're the last because you not wanting to date you da- date you no, darling. I
0: don't mind. I went off to college the year it became the city, and when I came back, it was really really different. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, so one, uh, uh... no, that's it. We did it. We did it. We got through the watch trains. It's good because we still have a lot to say. Okay, um, Echo Park Book of the Dead is this Saturday. That's coming up. It's your new crime tour. It's super exciting. Caesar and I drove the route last week. He's very happy with the route. I'm very happy. It was it was really simple. I thought it was going to take. I, I I allowed another. I allowed. Twice as much time as it took. It was really simple,
0: and that meant instead of having tacos, you were able to do something even better with Caesar, right? Oh yeah, we
1: <laughs> right as, as, as Caesar's, Caesar's girlfriend um, put in a special order. Uh, th- there was there's some sort of special tripe that she likes at a, at a butcher shop that's a little farther than they like to walk to, and so we were we were able to uh, go go pick this up, and then they were able to, able to have a, a, a really good late lunch. Thanks, thanks, Timmy so it's, it's good, and 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 the, the bus tour is routed, and Caesar's happy with all the turns. So that's,
0: and we have a really clever way of dealing with um, freeways, and freeway oh, narratives, yeah, yeah. and also with how to handle uh, Carroll Avenue, and.
1: Um, well, we we just, I mean, you, know, you just, we our interesting way of dealing with Carroll Avenue is Caesar just said yes, the bus can go up and down Douglas.
0: Well, he's also going to be doing a little backing up. There's going to be some fancy footwork. If you like to see Caesar do his thing, and, and I know some of our regulars have seen Caesar do some pretty extraordinary driving, this isn't going to be like those early esoteric tours where we were you know, going through Elysian Park and basically hanging off cliffs in a giant bus. It's not going to be like that, but but it is going to be some really elegant driving.
1: Very excited. We're Very, very excited. Okay. Um, so, Kim, the... The Lava Monthly Sunday Salon is, is currently on hiatus. Um, Fig- La Nose de Figaro closed with uh, two days notice about two weeks ago, much to my complete and utter dismay. I think, I think I'm think i allowed to say that at this point, Do my complete and utter dismay. And we are looking for a new home for the Lava Monthly Salon downtown. Um, you know, you and I have a lot of strong feelings, and a lot of uh, criteria which are sometimes impossible to verbalize, but we know it when we see it, and uh, I, I want everyone to know I've really, really, to use a, a hackneyed phrase, given this up to God, sort of stopped worrying about it for a little bit, and I'm going to start to put my head back onto it.
0: It's your fault. You're the one who wanted to do the Babylon working upstairs at Figaro. You created all sorts of mystic vortex energy, and now we have to deal with the fallout. But I'm, I'm just going to observe. Yeah
1: I, 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 yeah, I agree with you.
0: I know. I'm just going to observe. Oh, my God, people, please come downtown and do cool stuff, but, but don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid. You know, talk to people who are really downtown and see what's going on. Like,
1: like Alan, the realtor on Broadway,
0: who shall remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's when you when you see the major investment happening on Broadway, what you're seeing is big corporations that have limitless funds not, not, but,
1: but, yeah. well
0: you know proportionally yeah. you know when Ross Dress for Less moves into Broadway when Urban Outfitters moves into Broadway when an Ace opens up a hotel to some extent you know this is advertising it's part of marketing it's part it's, of the, the multinational it, branding
1: it's part of a spreadsheet that includes probably for, for Ace at least over 10 properties So this is a very complicated tax return and um, something that that when you and I think about spaces moving on to Broadway, this is is really much larger than any scale we're thinking of.
0: Exactly. So, you know, all that great press that Ace is getting for being at Lower Broadway spreads to all of its other hotels and people all over the world are going to go in and, you know, stay in Palm Springs and New York and London and what have you. And I just, you know, I, I feel for... I feel for the Magiev family who opened Figaro, and hopefully they will be back. But I know that you know, they just were so ambitious and hopeful, and it's a really tough block. We did what we could to bring people in, and, and people loved it. We, we
1: did a great job.
0: People loved it, but that was one day a month. And ultimately, you know, if downtown is really going to well, expand...
1: What, what, what about Art Walk?
0: Okay, Art Walk is not what it was.
1: I know, Art Walk is, it was a joke. It was a joke, Kim, because when you and I ran Art Walk, all we talked about was Broadway.
0: That's that's true. Anyway, I, I don't want to get negative, but I just I, I hope that we don't see other small family businesses trying to put a big footprint down on Broadway um, and get disappointed. And okay,
1: say. but but I'm afraid, Kim, that when you talk to people who who are actively leasing and selling on Broadway, the writing, if you talk to them, if you sit down over a cup of of tea with them. On Broadway, they'll tell you the writing on the wall points to Broadway turning into a national retail space.
0: Right, with, with the property owners actually saying, I don't want to rent to a mom and pop, even a mom and pop that only wants a little 10-foot wide storefront that they know they can manage. And that's, that's sad, too, because Broadway for 30-plus years, 40. 40 years, has been a place where families can get their foothold. You know, not with a giant restaurant, but with a little jewelry shop, a little clothing shop, a little—I don't know—a place that sells remote-controlled toys for your baby and your dog. And that ain't gonna be there anymore.
1: Wait, wait, we need to move on because the the salon and the walking tours are on hiatus. But just just to wrap up this note, one of the biggest economic engines in the city of Los Angeles is the jewelry district, which 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 whose footprint encompasses Broadway. So. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. The next, the next ten years on Broadway will be very interesting. It will be interesting to see how the, the Jewelry District, what happens to that, that capital engine that is the Jewelry District.
0: And I'll just leave it here. Don't worry about the salon or the walking tours, you know? We're, we're going to find the perfect place. Because that's just the way that we operate. There's always going to be a perfect niche that we're going to move into. We, we survived the closure of Clifton's cafeteria. We've survived the closure of Figaro, and we'll be back. So stay tuned.
1: Last week, Kim Clifton's will have been. Cl- last week, Clifton's has been closed three years.
0: Yeah, I wrote an essay about it for our newsletter about how Clifton's still survives in the hearts of everyone who loved it and how um, places like Clifton's that survive for so many generations and have these layers of love energy are so much more than just restaurants. And, we, you know, we have so few of them left, and everybody has their favorites, you know. We we were a uh, Felipe's family, actually. My family didn't go to Clifton's when I was growing up. I wish that we had, but I've you know built some memories at Clifton's the last 20 years or so. Other families are really attached to Moussa and Frank or to the pantry or tail the pup for many years. They're still floating around, you just can't get a dog there. I think places like this really are are so precious and need to be treasured and saved and preserved whenever they can be. And in New York, they're trying to find ways of actually preserving small family-run businesses of this sort, make it easier for them to survive the economic pressures of modernity. Maybe one day we'll have something like that in Los Angeles.
1: Wow, well I think I actually think that the the rezoning of downtown is supposed to help with that a lot. So, good. Okay, we're we're okay. We have to stop talking about this and we have to get to introducing this interview. Okay. So, this is an interview with Kate and Chrissy. They are the grassroots campaign to preserve this building. Okay? They 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 were the ones that started it. This interview is one hour long. Instead of two 30 minute interviews, we have a single interview with the both of them. We will start with the moment they woke up in May of, of this year, September. This, this narrative starts in May of this year. It goes up until about two weeks ago with the filing of a filing appealing the sequel ruling for. The property in question, and now we're going to explain what the property in question is. So this is this is really, I, I'm, and I'm going to put it on the table immediately. This interview is is filled with references to the Bhagavad Gita because because Kate and Chrissy called me several times in the course of of this campaign and, and said, "Oh my God, we're just going to die. We cannot cross this abyss. We're just so despondent. We don't know what we're going to do." And I just I just reminded them that. The abyss was behind them, and they and they, they just had to keep moving forward. So, so we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, before we introduce the podcast, we're just gonna bring together one quote from the Bhagavad Gita to get us started, because that's that's really this this whole interview is about a preser- grassroots preservation campaigns as a spiritual exercise, which which is which I think is a good idea. So, so Kim, the property in question, please explain.
0: Okay, well, if you've ever been to the Troubadour um, on the border of West Hollywood and Beverly Hills on Santa Monica Boulevard, basically the far end of Boys Town, the western edge, on the south side of the street, you may not have noticed it because the trees were a little high and it was kind of dingy, but there's this really handsome, streamlined, modern, white, two-story structure with some glass brick in it. That is the most distinctive part of this parcel. It's um, a 1930s-era dog and cat hospital that is by the firm of Wordman and Beckett. And the fact that it is by the firm of Wordman and Beckett becomes very important in this narrative because that's something that was suppressed by the developer and and quite possibly by the city of West Hollywood as this project has sort of gradually moved through um, the permitting process and with long pauses due to the financial collapse. Um, Adjacent to it, directly touching it, is um, a 1950s era office complex, also, A distinguished building, but not quite as jazzy as a streamlined modern 1930s dog and cat hospital. So together, that's what Kate and Chrissy would like to see preserved. And they found these incredible errors, which they'll go into in the course of this interview. That's
1: that's the narrative.
0: That's the narrative. They found these incredible errors in the process. Errors that nobody else had, had seen. No one else had had the opportunity to bring up. And they were able to not only put the brakes on everything that was happening towards the demolition of these projects, but to bring in a lot of powerful support, which I guess goes back to the Bhagavad Gita, Richard. Well,
1: okay, so just to, keep, to, to make this quick and move on. So really, the yoga of despondency, which is a term we use a lot around this house, is, is really an unofficial translation of Chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita by William Q. Judge. And that just means you're, you're just sitting around and you're saying, I don't want to fight. There's nothing I can do. It's totally hopeless. I'm just a worthless sack of poo, and I should just—I should just go back, go back to sleep, because there's there's no point in doing anything, and I, I just the world is against everything.
0: Or why do we work so hard? Why don't we just get in the car and go to Riverside and hang out at the Mission Inn and have some tapas?
1: Right. So the the yoga of despondency is very simple. You you wake up and you say, I don't want to fight, and yet the reality is. Several salvos of arrows from the other side have already flown and have, have s- surrounded you. So, so the so we're to introduce this podcast uh, at the end of the podcast at the end of the narrative. Kate and Chrissy both mention uh, in the phone call I had with them right before this this great denouement. I told them they said, "Oh, you told us this great quote from the Bhagavad Gita, and it's like it's like basically it doesn't matter what you say you're going to do because you're just going to end up doing it anyway. So you might as well just do it and stop stop." Perseverating over it and driving yourself crazy, and so so just so when this moment in the interview comes, this is in the front of everyone 's mind i 'm simply going to quote the William Q Judd translation of the uh, approximately one hundred and thirtieth sloka from the Bhav- Bhagavad Gita uh, in chapter eighteen and and it, it is if indulging self confidence you say, "I will not fight, such a determination will prove itself in vain." for the principles of your very nature will impel you to engage anyway. Okay, and that's that's what this interview is about.
0: Was that before or after the coffee cup dissolved on the table?
1: Uh, the coffee cup dissolving on the table is 30 is 32 minutes into the interview. And and the quotation I just quoted which is brought up at like 54 minutes into the interview.
0: No relation.
1: Okay, so good. All right, so I think we're ready. This is a really we're we're very proud of them. It's really really, really, really great that the Los Angeles Conservancy has filed a motion. I believe it's in Superior Court. I'm gonna say believe because I forgot to check that, but I, I believe it's superior court, an appeal to the California to the Sequel ruling Uh, The last time the Conservancy uh, went to court was over the ambassador in 2005, which is nine years ago.
0: Well, it just goes to show a couple of preservationists who are upset about something in their backyard can actually generate quite a lot of steam and smoke and fire, if they're right.
1: The yoga of despondency. So let's take it away with my interview with Kate and Chrissy. Kate, Chrissy, we're here. We're in in the wine section of Urban Radish. It's a hot September day. I need you both. This is is a novelty. I'm going to interview both of you at the same time. Very excited. So we're going to... to, Okay, Chrissy, you're you're closest to me. You're going to introduce yourself and tell us why I'm talking to you and Kate today. Okay, introduce yourself and tell us about the animal hospital. Okay.
3: Um, My name's... (laughs) I'm Chrissy Gosney and I live in West Hollywood and with my partner Kate we um, became aware of a, a building in our neighborhood that was set to be demolished, actually a, a whole entire block of buildings that were set to be demolished. And um, it was a particular block that we thought was, was had interesting architecture on it. And so we went to see what, what, what was happening and what, what could be done. And,
1: Perfect. Okay, good. That's, that's a great start. Okay, Kate, properly introduce yourself and tell us this building in question and who designed it. Uh,
4: my name is Kate Eggert. Um, the building is originally built in 1928 by uh, Dr. Eugene C. Jones for his veterinarian practice. Uh, and in 1938, he hired um, Wordman and Beckett and actually Eugene Plummer as well. To uh, build the facade that's there today, and about 20 to 25 feet to the east of the building, a second floor in the back, and then runs and stuff that are, that aren't there anymore. But
1: okay. I, I, I need you to explain to the people listening who may not know that this was this was the celebrity ho- animal hospital. So give us a little uh, little, little, little yeah, Chris Chrissy, maybe, why, don't, why don't you tell us about how famous this veterinarian was?
3: Uh, well, he was known as the veterinarian to the stars. The the animal hospital is at the border of um, West Hollywood and Santa Monica on Sunset Boulevard. I'm sorry, <laughs> on Santa Monica Boulevard. And so um, he, he was actually the first small pet veterinarian um, in L.A. County. The veterinarians before... And, and actually, in, in the country, that they, they were for livestock and they were for farm animals and ranch animals. And so he was one of the pioneers of being a veterinarian for pets, for small animals. And um, I would imagine because it was a depression that he set up shop um, at such a famous area there because not a lot of people would have the money or be a little bit kooky enough to think about taking their pets to a doctor. Because back then, you know, you felt sorry for your pet who was ill, but you really didn't do much for them except put them out of their misery when they got to be too ill. Um, So he got a a lot of celebrity clientele. Um, uh, Kate, what are some of the celebrities?
1: Yeah. Kate, tell us about the celebrities, and then give us a little more description of this beautiful remodel that they did in '38.
4: Okay. Yeah, some of the celebrities that we... um, we know pretty sure that went to this vet was um, Bogart, Mae West, Charlie Chaplin. And part of the reason why you know this is because also in um, 1928, uh, he also opened the first uh, small, or actually the first um, pet cemetery in, in, in Los Angeles County. Um, and his mother and his brother ran a mortuary on Highland in Hollywood. Um, and there you would pick out your coffin, you know, for your animal. They would even have a service where uh, if your pet died, they would come to your house in a Hertz and pick them up. And some of the clients were Chaplin, Bogart. Ralph um, uh, uh, Valentino's dog is one of the first pets to be buried at the cemetery. Um, so, yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Wow. Okay. Good. So, so Evelyn Eve Waugh was was definitely aware of this. It, this, this definitely went into the Loved one. Good, my favorite novel. All right, uh, Chrissy, tell us a little bit about the remodel and the built the streamlined modern. It's a beautiful, streamlined modern building. For those listening, that oh, Kate, Kate, you've got okay, Kate. Give us, give us just because this is a podcast and it's just audio. Give us a brief description of this beautiful structure.
4: Yeah, um, it has. It has pretty much all of the streamlined modern details um, that were typical, you know, of the 30s. Um, And what sets this building apart is usually in streamlined modern buildings and commercial buildings, you know, you have the smooth edges, you have the horizontal banding, um, the wood banding, and the uh, recessed doorways, maybe a porthole window. But what this building does beyond that is they have two um, lines of glass blocks that, length the, uh, that run the length of the facade. Um, also, stainless steel blades on a central tower with two flanking towers. Um, there's also a stainless steel marquee in the front that's ornate soffit and some other architectural detail, I don't know. But this, it, this building goes way beyond the typical um, elements of Streamline Modern.
1: Okay. We're going to we're going to jump in to this. There's some some really interesting stuff has happened. But before we do, are you sure those glass blocks are original?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because at the historic preservation commission meeting, that was one of the questions. Well,
1: you know, they could have just thrown them in in the 60s when they remodeled or something.
4: Very true. Very true. Although the design of it actually gives the date away. But yeah. Um T- only two of the glass blocks have ever been replaced, and it's pretty obvious which ones are from the '80s-ish and which, one- which ones are, you know, original 1938. But yeah, they're they're real.
1: Good. Okay. So that uh, that, w- that was a joke for everyone listening, but we'll get to that joke, okay. <laughs> right? Because that was that that's kind of funny now. Yeah. Now that yeah. the abyss is behind you. Yeah. Okay. True. Okay. So okay. So Chris. Okay. So Chrissy. Yeah. Okay. We have
3: some hurdles, but they're. But they're different hurdles. It's like every time we cross over the hurdle that someone throws up, they throw up new hurdles, and we're just new enough to to not expect the next hurdle.
1: We're we're we're, we're going to get to that. Don't worry, Kate. Kate and I, I had a very long conversation with Kate about a month ago, and that's the, the end of the podcast interview. Is Kate's going to tell everyone what a great what a great job I did coaching her on remaining <laughs> calm? I know we're going. That's, that's the end. We're going to get to that. Okay, so. Chrissy, um, it is middle of September 2014. This building is being considered for demolition, for a giant re-envisioning of the block, this grand portal to West Hollywood, which of course the world is watching. What happened last week?
3: Uh, The Los Angeles Conservancy filed an appeal to the city of Los Angeles' whirling essentially putting everything on a pause.
1: It's it's the city of West Hollywood. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. You said Los Angeles. That's okay. We'll just... Okay, so this is really interesting. So this beautiful, much neglected, important piece of streamlined modern architecture in West Hollywood, Los Angeles Conservancy is doing their job, files a motion in court, Superior Court, I, I believe, to stop everything. This is a project that's been in the works for about six, seven years, a lot of money is behind it. So let's... This is... Uh, uh, huh? 11 years. So let's... Um, now that we know that, that there's been a serious victory for preservationists, let's go back and let's start to talk about the, the journey you two have had with the preservation of this building. And I think it's safe to say at this point you've achieved a major victory. So so let's take a breath. with With the filing, with the court filing, I think you've achieved... A major victory. Um, Kate, okay. let's get started. Let's go back. Um, I want to know. I want to start with the moment you two woke up to this problem. Okay, okay. It was a. It was a. It was a historic preservation commission meeting, city of West Hollywood, in in May of this year. So go, take us to that meeting and take us to just you waking up.
4: Okay. Yeah. um, You know, a a year before, um, we had saved two houses in our block, and then we took kind of a a brief uh, pause from preservation. And then on a whim, really, we're like, well, you know, let's go to a Historic Preservation Commission meeting and see what's going on. And so we did, and we realized they were talking about the building that, one of the buildings we love in West Hollywood. It was literally the building that, when we drove in in a U-Haul <laughs> that we saw and we're like, oh my God, what's that building? Um, so, uh, God, what from there? But, um, but yeah, we sat in and we realized that all HBC or the Historic Preservation Commission was being asked was to add notes uh, to how important this building was. And you know, they asked questions like, are the glass blocks original? Are the windows <laughs> original? What's original? And um, I guess the... Uh, LSA, the people who did the EIR, the Environmental Impact Report, uh, didn't have that much detail. So, and we also realized, like, oh my God, this—they're not considering designation of the building. They're—they're going to demo it. That—that's—that's that's what this is all about. This is a review to look all of the buildings on the property to see if they're important enough, you know, or whatever. But the—the the process was already moving forward for for demolition of the entire Millers Triangle.
1: Let's, okay. Let's take a breath. Okay, so you come home, you wake up, Chrissy. What, what's what's your first thought?
3: Well, actually, we were kind of because we're so new to this. Um, one of the commissioners at towards the end of the night asked. This series of questions are the Glass Box original, and and several other questions, and also about the building next to it, which is a, a mid-century modern Barry A. Burkus building. And I mean, we're we're new to this, and and we just felt like if we could answer those questions, we would that people would just stop, and they would stop demo. Every you know, we could we could not 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 save the building, but we could sort of show everyone that they should be saved. So we immediately set about finding the answers to these questions.
1: Okay, and repeat for everyone, because we're going to hand it off to Kate in a second, repeat the questions you wanted to get answers to, just, just for, emotion, for the emotional, moral purpose of setting the record straight and being right.
3: Um, one was the Facade Original. Was it done by Wordman and Beckett? That was a a thing that was going around, that Wordman and Beckett did the 1926, 1928 1928 building, and somebody else did the 1938 remodel. And the other, there were more questions about the building next door because the survey company did a very, very poor job um, with uh, describing that building and researching that building. So, um Kate took the Woodman and Beckett building. I took the Burkas building, and we both just got on the phone, got on, got on the internet, went to the archives, and so we were more into action rather than feeling like, oh, doom is upon us or anything, you know. Because we, I don't want to use the word naive, but I guess naively thought that if we could answer these questions everyone would just go, oh, my God, what are we doing?
1: Good, good, okay, good, okay, Kate, I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to put on the table, once you're done answering these questions, we're going to have to come back and, for the listeners at home, spend 45 seconds explaining to people what CEQA and an EIR is, which is, of course, a ridiculously short amount of time to do that in. But we, we, we will, before we get any further, have to make some attempt to bring people up to speed about this incredibly complicated Process the state of California has called the California Environmental Quality Act. But that's that's we'll, we'll put that off a couple of minutes. Kate, you have questions; they need answers. What did you do?
4: Um, so yeah, I think one of the first things uh, we did was I, I went to City Hall and put in a request for all the permits yep. um, for both buildings. Uh, also went up to the planning desk and asked for the folders with the building and took photographs of them.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you because this is, this is a podcast to inform. One of the hardest things you can do is research a building in West Hollywood because potentially all the records are actually in the city of Los Angeles building records department. So this is so you, you, you were very fortunate, because I remember I was down at, at Building Records about the time this was happening, and I talked to Evelyn, and she said, oh no, they may have to come down here. So people continuing to do work in West Hollywood, be prepared to do double duty, not only in the city of West Hollywood, but at the Lo- city of Los Angeles Building Records office on Figueroa downtown.
4: You know, and that's interesting because I haven't I I haven't run into that quite yet. I think I'll probably get there in terms of other buildings we're researching. Um, but you know, the the records for um, I think it was the Roman and Beckett building they only went back to the 60s, mm-hmm. so I imagine the rest are are there. So. Um, so yeah, I got from there. We and then we, um, I went to the Los Angeles Public Library website and just looked under the historic LA Times archives. Um, uh, Google Books was really excellent, and we were trying to find actual photos of the building so we could show. Look, it hasn't changed. Um, <laughs> for the Burkas Building, we uh, the. The copies that the, the county gave um, West Hollywood of the building permits and the different permits, um, they were microfished, so the quality is, is really, really bad. So we're there trying to, like, fill in the details of an R of a T, and then we f- finally saw that this um, the LSA had said that the concrete screen wall um, wasn't, original and we found out it was because it's a concrete screen wall doing well you know dated 1953 or something um and then with the wordman and beckett um i found a photo on google books it was through uh washington state university where dr jones went an alumni magazine and that was the first photo i found um and then from there with the um Uh, what's it called this uh, the permits I found out there was a redesign in the 80s and the only thing that was changed was an extra door that was added uh, just west of the front door but it it was pretty amazing and then obviously finding the cache at uh, the Getty Research
1: Institute. So let's 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 spend a minute on that so you're up against you're, you're you're pounding your head against a wall and then you call the Getty and what happens? (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, thanks to you guys, I looked at, you know, the OAC site. I just wasn't even thinking. Let's,
3: um, let's
1: explain to people uh, what the OAC... And my, by the way, my wife says... As my wife falls out of bed, she says OAC. So please explain to people what the OAC is.
4: Oh, yeah, I say Norwalk. I've got to go to Norwalk. <laughs> You're talking about getting a shirt. Um, Online Archives of California. Um, So through there, I saw that um, the GRI had, and UCLA, had um, archives, uh, Beckett Archives.
1: GRI uh, stands for?
4: Getty Research Institute. Um, I used to work there, so I'm (laughs) all, yeah. So then from there, I was like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to call. So I called the Getty Research Institute first, and... I think i just got really lucky and
1: oh are are you at this point you still think luck has anything to do with this this is so charming
4: really oh (laughs) maybe i'm nice over the phone too maybe that helps i don't know (laughs) um so so i called i was like you know there's there's a building that's in um danger of being demolished and i really need to find out this information as soon as possible um and it has to be somewhere uh and they said well you know we have the Beckett archives. Let me let me look through what's here right now because I couldn't find anything online. And then they're like, well, you know, we just got um, a recent donation from McDonald Beckett, uh, one of Wilton Beckett's sons, and you know, it hasn't been processed. But let me let me ask the curator; she's willing to look through it. I mean, look through it. We're talking like. Dozens and dozens of boxes. Um, but it was uh, plans and photographs and just memorabilia having to do with all these different projects of Beckett. And so um, they came back at me like uh, about five days later because I, I thought it was a lost cause. I was like, okay, I, you know, I threw it in, let's see what happens. But I was like, they're not going to find anything. Sure enough, they called back and they're like, we think we found it. Uh, it's filed under dog that was it you know so I was I you know died and then because they knew the Planning Commission meeting was coming up I told them how quickly I needed this they let me in two days later and and you know there was the the actual pencil drawn architectural drawings promotional cards photographs of the building
1: and so at that point at the Getty Research Institute library you would answered all the questions. And please repeat the questions that you answered because we're going to switch over to Chrissy and, and move on.
4: Yeah, so, um, oh, just quickly before I forget, the one of the first questions was uh, the outside. Was it originally stucco? Yes, it was. It has a different stucco job on it now and a bad paint job, but <laughs> it was originally stucco. Um, it, was, it was crazy to see how much was original the blades, the marquee, the the glass blocks, the casement windows. Um, having the glass blocks surround the casement windows kind of, it's a little rare, you know, when, when it comes to Streamline modern, you don't see it that much. It's usually in separate, um, I don't know how you say it, but just kind of glass blocks and a casement window, then glass blocks. But glass blocks actually surround the casement window. and it's... Because,
1: because architects choose to actually design the details to their buildings, because mm. that's. What you did when you were trained to be an architect, and you could make those decisions.
4: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and and there, you know, there's an arrow to it, basically saying glass blocks, casement window, (laughs) stainless steel marquee, and that. So, you could take these plans, a photograph of these plans, stand in front of the building, and be like, "Wow, you know, the only thing that has changed are those two glass blocks, and that one extra door."
1: Right. Good. Take take a breath. You did it. Okay. Chrissy, all the questions are answered. You've got this looming milestone. This is the uh, this is the HPC meeting in August. The planning commission. I'm sorry. This is the planning commission meeting, and this is in July. Okay. All right. So let's go. Okay. So June. Oh, June. Okay. So so in May, you wake up. About six weeks later, you've got this milestone of a planning commission meeting. Chrissy, take mm-hmm. it. you have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You've answered all the questions. So what are you thinking going into this planning commission here? Oh go, Kate, you oh, you're.
4: Yeah. Well and also, yes, it was a Wordman and Beckett building.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, of course. Good. Uh, so Chrissy, you're you're going into this planning commission meeting, you've got all the answers. You still you still have this 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 ingenue gumption that I so admire. And and, and what happens? What what happens? This is this is this is the journey from innocence to experience.
3: <laughs> um, well, basically, I can tell you what we thought would happen. Yeah. We thought that the HPC would historic Preserva- preservation, preservation
1: commission, commission.
3: would um, like almost uh, like like pull pull back the project and scream stop. This can't happen. We're taking control. This is an historic building. You know, we're we're in charge now. But of course, that didn't happen. We have never heard from them. We don't even know if they ever saw any of our material um, because none of the there's no way for the public to contact them. Their information is not out there um, for the public, um, and so. We we the planning commissioners were we were able to get information to them or so we thought, because when when we went to the meeting, the information that we provided was considered more as a side note. That the the whole, the project was considered as if they did not have our information, and then towards the end they they brought up oh and we did receive this information from Chrissy and Kate, and. I don't even know I, I'm not even sure if, if they all went around and commented on it but um, but it was more like I don't want to use the word cute but it was almost kind of like I don't, I don't even know how to explain it it was it was it was like a just just a thing and and it's as, charming as as it was charming something to
1: talk about at the next mixer with the Los yeah. Angeles Conservancy
3: yeah. about
1: all the good work they're doing <laughs>
3: And basically, as soon as it was brought up, it was gone. It, that was it.
1: So the meeting's over. What is the fate of the building at this point? You're walking out of the meeting. It's it's June. It's the middle of June. You've you, you've done. You, you've 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 moved mountains to get these answers. The ground is. The, the path is opened up before you. As as you expire your your, your breath, it's right there. What, what what are you thinking, Kate?
4: Um. And also, let me just add, that planning commission meeting was so strange. It, it was the first one we'd ever been to, so we don't know if it usually goes like that. But it was, it was very strange the way they were kind of fawning over the developer and the architect and the lobbyist. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we leave and we're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to file an appeal, right? Because that's what you do after a decision gets made. So there's actually back and forth with the city of whether or not we can file an appeal. Some people say yes, some people say no. We're like, well, you know, we can't take the chance. Let's do it. So we literally stayed up all night doing an appeal and gave them all the information we found. Um, we also found uh, the t- uh, w- what we call the timeline of the information not getting out there that it was a wordman and beckett until okay, we're
1: we're we okay we're hold we're we're gonna get that's okay. that's the the point of this whole question so get us through you're actually putting the appeal together and then we'll we'll get back to this memo
4: okay um, well I don't know besides just staying up all night and giving them like you know what we found at the 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 Getty Research Institute what how many pages oh God well <laughs> I mean all together I think it was probably like I don't know. Maybe eighty pages of all the material we found. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It was probably like a five to ten page letter. Um, but but yeah, I don't. That's that that's actually we were literally like had everything on the ground. Oh.
3: oh. <laughs> okay. So that was
1: okay. So we just okay, Chrissy, your your yeah. the bottom of your coffee cup just <laughs> collapsed and spilled all over everything. So we've taken a, a second. Ron, there's some coffee spilled over there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, um, hey, you, got your, you got a fresh cup yeah. of coffee there? Okay, good. Alright, um, the point where we were going was this eureka moment. So Chrissy, if we can just... I know you are in the middle of a sentence, but we'll just... Oh, there Oh, you were... Yeah, you were in the middle of a sentence. Let's just jump ahead. The, the point of, of drawing you out was you have this 80-page document, The Appeal and you're and you're saying to yourself Kate something's not adding up something something's not right I I reviewed we we we've, we've actually written up the whole narrative all the evidence is here and it just doesn't make sense what's not making sense
4: It was something to do we had we had all the papers out on the floor and we had the original um, environmental impact report from uh, 2008 we had well, not the original but the second one and then the recirculated one from 2014 and then i just kind of remembered i was like well wait a minute the 2008 one didn't say anything about warden and beckett it only said the streamline modern and then the 2014 does so I, we had all these documents that uh, were in the Historic Preservation uh, Commission packet and the Planning Commission packet and I, I have a little bit of a photographic memory so I just kind of like went back and it, I think it both hit us at the same time too it was weird and we started unraveling dates and it what we found out it was already written out but in 2008. It was like a meeting in February-ish, uh, Historic Preservation Commission. That's when um, the building came to uh, the Historic Preservation Commission to to talk about um, because the EIR found out that it was uh, uh, eligible for California Register um, Criterion Three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for architecture, Stu modern. and I think it's probably something to add up for them. They're like, do more research. And so, so the,
1: the city of West Hollywood comes back in two thousand eight February, and says, "Do more digging. Right. We want to know more about who built this streamlined modern structure. Mm-hmm. Probably asked the same question, or the are the glass blocks original?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, like literally like two months later, um, LSA, the people who did the EIR um, comes back and says, "No, this is a Wordman and Beckett building." Um, they write a two- to three-page memorandum addressed to David DeGrazia and um, saying this is a previous, previously unknown Werben and Beckett building. Um, and at the end it says, please let us know when you're in receipt of this letter so we can file the uh, DPR with um, Fullerton, which is, I think, the, was it the state repository yeah. Yeah. for yeah. 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 This, this,
1: this is, yeah, so w- when you file stuff with the state and you're in Southern California, Fullerton is where uh, you file it.
4: Right, the SCCIC or yeah. something like that. Um, so, yeah, we're like, oh, okay, you know. Um, so we're like, well, of course, you know, West Hollywood made it known that this is the Word of Beckett, you know, because the developer knows, West Hollywood knows. So, anyway, then we find a letter from the Conservancy, from Adrian Fine, and... He writes the city saying, you can't demo this building, you know, he uses really gorgeous language to, to describe Streamline modern. And it's such an excellent example of Streamline modern. And we're like, wait a minute. N- Wordman and Beckett aren't mentioned. And this is in 2012. No one's told anybody. The city, the developer, the lobbyists never told any of the uh, preservation groups that this was a Wordman and Beckett building. And so, I mean, yeah. Um,
3: okay. Stop.
1: Yeah. Okay, you're doing great. So I have to move for a second because the produce carts—they almost <laughs> run over my foot. Um, getting in the way of the can't get in the way of Ron's produce carts. Okay, so you've, you've had this moment, Chrissy. Take it from here. What do, what do you do? The, the, they, 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 they've, they've sat on this information, as all great bureaucracies do, whether by intention or omission.
3: Um, well. A funny thing with, with going off what Kate just said is um, we, we had the, the living room just scattered with papers, and we were both reading and reading and, and just trying to figure out how where were we were going to come from because we were writing the appeal. And so um, we, we were like spending hours just reading over everything, and we knew it, it had to be good. I mean, it had to be really good. It had to be better than what we gave to the planning commission because obviously that wasn't getting anyone's attention. So at one point, I, I'm like, Kate, listen to this. And I just start reading. And I would kind of like put together a little timeline on the floor with, with piles of paper. And then I stopped and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know what I'm getting. And Kate's like, no, mm. you're getting at something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know, but what is it? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know, but it's something. I know it's something. And so I just kept going and and I'm like Kate, it's something, right? And she's like, yeah. And I'm and I think it was um, it was the LA Conservancy letter that that helped us like understand what it was exactly that we were trying to understand. And and we thought that that was a smoking gun that um, and
4: it didn't come before HPC again, right?
3: That it didn't go back to HPC, and that and so we thought, aha! Now they're going to have to. Go- turn it back to HPC. This process is going to have to start all over again. And, of course, you know, not that we're, like, we're going to be the conquering heroes, but, like, our information is going to be the conquering heroes. You know, they're going to hold our appeal above their heads and go, yes.
1: The, the, the truth will set everyone free.
3: Right. Um, and so um, we knew that the appeal was due the next day because um, that's how it, that yes. was the timing of it. And it, and it was confusing about who, who 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 was kind of tuned into what was happening was going to write it, and then it came down to where we realized well the only ones if someone was going to do it it was going to be us, so so unfortunately then we had to do it overnight. So when we make this discovery we 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 write it all out we be as professional as we can be. Um, the actual letter that we wrote was about ten pages. Our uh, proof. Hmm. equaled um, about mm-hmm. oh, what like forty pages.
4: Oh, oh, I thought it was like seventy or eighty. Seventy or okay, eighty I pages,
3: um, and so so we really thought like, okay, this is it. This is, and we go to City Hall the next day. <laughs> the The clerk's uh, office is going to close at four thirty. And it was about four o'clock when we were like, "Oh, we just have to take everything and go down there." So Kate's organizing in the car. We get there, (laughs) and (laughs) we we get it. But we get it. We get to the clerk's uh, little booth in time, and then there's a question of whether or not we can turn it in. (laughs) And so they have to get the one of the city managers, city clerk. Oh, oh. No, yeah, the city clerk wouldn't take it.
4: Yeah.
3: And so we were afraid then that they were going to tell us that, oh, wait a minute, but you could have turned it into a, a, an appeal, but you didn't. And then we'd say, well, the city clerk said we couldn't, and then and then the city clerk, who knows what she would say, you know, right. because at, every, sure. cause at that time we're, like, a, a little bit getting kind of conspiratorial, you know, thing going on. And so... Um, but but we had members of the um, the Preservation Alliance, West Hollow Preservation Alliance, and um, we're we a bit more soft spoken, kinda you know, sit on the living room floor and you know, do that's where we do our work is putting information together. But but these guys were, were much more forceful. And so they actually got the city to take to take the um, the appeal.
2: Okay,
1: so the appeal is filed, give us a date on the date of filing of the appeal. Approximate.
3: Well,
4: it must—it must have been uh, like it was like ten calendar days after after the planning commission ruling, and they said they, they took it. The city clerk took it. John Kehoe made the final decision. Just go ahead and take it, and we'll see. We'll we'll run it by. I think it was the city attorney to see if it is an appealable decision, um, and it wasn't. It was a recommendation to the council. So all in this process, there was absolutely no way for anybody to file an appeal for this process. In the end, it was always going to come down to the council making a decision. So they, they, it was, you know, they, they called me, they, they, they called us at home and said, we can't take it and this is why. And we get it in the mail like two weeks later. It was, it was strange. Right.
1: We're, we're, we're getting close to getting to the Denouement, which is the, uh, it's the, uh, the August City Council planning meeting, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is where it all goes down? Yeah. Okay, so let's take a breath. This is probably a good time for one of you to explain in 45 seconds what an, e- a dra- an environmental impact <laughs> report is and how it relates to CEQA, and I can help you. Okay. Okay, but let's just, let's just for the listeners at home, and is a very complicated <laughs> um, bureaucratic ordinance framework tool to do a lot of things. And one of the things it does is it allows for people, uh, developers, who want to work on develop property to write an environmental impact report and talk about preservation, talk about historical significance of structures. And that's one of the things it does. It ta- the EIR identifies all impacts. On the community, on the resources, on the, the site that they've, that they've specified as something they want to develop. So, will you just, just give us 30 seconds on, on EIRs and CEQA?
0: Well, you just did it. <laughs> okay.
1: okay. Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, and it, it could get really complicated, but we'll, good. All right. So, we did oh, okay. it. So I just, I yeah. No, yes. It's good. So, as part of the, but the CEQA is going to come up because the the, the suit. The appeal filed by the Los Angeles Conservancy has to do with CEQA. and so there are these guidelines that the state of California has set out, and the EIR addresses these as best as the developer can, given they're obviously <laughs> relatively ineffectual attempts to identify the historic resources of the property, which is probably to their advantage, um, given all of that. So good. So let's move forward. So let's, um, Chrissy, we've got this is this is the last. Uh, the last salvo of arrows flies uh, in August, right? The, uh, the city council planning meeting, yeah. right? You've got some, you're getting a lot of feedback from some council members. It's kind of exciting. So just walk us up to this, to this meeting in August. Your appeal has been denied. It's not an appeal, it's a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Just, you're, you, this, this is it. This is the meeting where everything's going to go down. So tell us what what what's happening, what you're feeling.
3: Um, Well, we still feel that if we could just get the information to the right people, that they would still have that moment of uh, what are we doing? This is not right. You know, now that we know what we know, we can't go forward with this. Um, So we started meeting with the individual council members. some of them would meet with us, a couple would not meet with us in their offices, um, and one just wouldn't return our calls, and, um, and two um, would, would just have their assistants meet with us. But everybody was very nice, they were very receptive, um, they actually were surprised. Because there is so much uh, misinformation going around um, about you know even, even at that point, they were still saying that wordman and Beckett did the the first building, somebody else did the remodel, so wordman and Beckett's input is gone. Um, so we and we had all the the proof to back up the, the thing the thing with us that we feel because we're not architects. Or uh, planners, or you know have that kind of background that if we just provide the proof, if we could show you in black and white what we're saying that that's that's like our job and now
1: that's that's the architect and planners job too just just to let you know
3: right, <laughs> but just we,
1: just, to, just in case yeah I, I know <laughs> that's hard to believe
3: um, so so we were still going on the thing that if we if we could show black and white proof that it would all just stop.
1: Good. All right. So, you've had you're getting some positive feedback from the elected officials that are that are about to make this decision. The night before. Kate, go. What's what's happening? What's what? What are you thinking about the night before?
4: Oh, the night before. But it's still a lot happened before that, though.
1: Oh, go. Yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. Oh no. Just. Um, We, uh, Chrissy started the Facebook page, Save the SMB Streamline with Erin, which is like, it's all her. Um, And continued to get information, more just doing more research and...
1: Letters were written to city council? Right! Residents and non-residents alike?
4: Right, duh. Yeah, exactly. And these, what Chrissy said before about these hurdles, we, we go over these hurdles and then we're like, oh wait, we did do that. Okay. Um... Yeah, we started a a letter writing thing, and um, we wanted people to write their own letters, but we gave them kind of like top, kind of like, what was it, like nine reasons-ish that we should save this building, Um, and uh, Los Angeles Conservancy had their own letter writing thing, uh, West Hollywood Preservation Alliance did, um, Mm -hmm. Art Deco, Society of LA, and Hollywood Heritage, and combined, they they received over 200 letters.
1: Only 50 of which were from residents of the city of West Hollywood.
4: Only fifty? Oh,
1: that—that's that, the figure you gave me.
4: Oh, okay. Well, still, they never get that many. <laughs> you know what I mean? They never get that many. And that was the thing when we met with uh, Scotts Funken, um, uh, Jeff Jeffrey Prang, uh, Council Member Jeffrey Prang's uh, deputy. He said we're not getting enough from West Hollywood, so we're like, okay, we'll fix that. <laughs> and so they did. Um, so,
1: so you guys are in the midst of a full-blown grassroots preservation campaign.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so it's okay, so maybe this is a good point to talk about the phone call you and I had. Right? Right? You call me on the phone and you're 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 really you're kind of down. You're like, "Oh my god, council meetings in a week and yeah. what am I going to do?" So so what so so what what are some of these so what are some of these spiritual exercises I have you engage in? To prepare yourself to walk into this into this city council meeting the next week.
4: Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, that was pretty brilliant. Um, well, you know, we we worked so hard, and we had to continue to give out the same information over and over again. And your advice of just saying,
3: well. Oh god, it was so good. I'm, I'm not going to be able to say it, but oh, Chrissy, say it. Yeah. Um, there's two things that I can remember. You said that the decision's already made. That like whatever whatever you do, if you're still going to like.
4: Even if if you decide not to do anything now, you're still going to end up doing it. Yeah. So let it go. And that's in essence kind of kind of what we did, and kind of what we're still doing, and you know, hence to where we are today. Yeah. But, but that, it was it was, very, it was very kind of very zen, very like in, m- reminding me to meditate again and just to be very in the moment and, and to know and be, to be proud of ourselves that we have done so much, done so much. And, you know, we like to think, you know, it, not being pompous at all, but just being realistic, you know, that we're the reason why that building is still standing today because the process was moving very, very fast. So.
1: Good. Okay, so let's get to... This meeting in August, you've had a lot of some fair amount of feedback from the city. You've waged a full-blown grassroots preservation campaign. You've emotionally prepared. You've given renounced the fruits of your labors, and you're just doing it. You're just you're. This is this is right action. You were just doing this because this is the right thing to do, and you don't care what the results are. Meeting comes up. What happens? (laughs) Chrissy.
3: Air conditioning goes out. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, well, Kate thinks that that might have been planned that the air conditioning didn't work that night, <laughs> and it was it was crazy hot and I think one of the mayors said that they were going to bring in fans, and they never did and and um, th- well, Kate didn 't see this as a sign, but I did that the when the Pledge of Allegiance, one of the very first things they do to start the meeting. Um, the Mayor asked the Lobbyist for the development to leave the Pledge of Allegiance, <laughs> so, so that pretty much told me that there that yeah. what the answer was going to be
1: that that would be correct, yeah yeah if you 'd texted me i would have I would have <laughs> written back yes
3: yeah. And what did I, I? What did I say to you, Kate? Oh, Chrissy, don't. Oh, okay. It <laughs> was something really bad. It's just, yeah, no.
1: So, so, so they say the Pledge of Allegiance. The meeting gets underway, and what is the decision?
3: Oh, ultimately, they all vote to go forward with the development.
1: To demolish the building. Yeah.
3: And in my comments that night, I had read a quote from the uh, lobbyist from the LA Weekly. He was interviewed. And um, in it, he basically said, uh, "We were not going to consider incorporating the building. We we're, are we're always going to demolish the building, and we we never, it was never even on the table to incorporate the historic building."
1: Okay. So, so you you come home, and what what do you, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do?
4: Well, you know, it's funny because like, well, we didn't know, and pretty much nobody knew, including the city attorney. Like, there at the end they're like okay let's do a motion he's like you know I'd love to but um I don't know what you're agreeing on yeah so I literally had to go back to to the meeting like on on video and like transcribe it because I didn't know either um and so they they approved the EIR um they basically approved the project but uh did not issue any demolition permits or, or give the okay to do demo permits
3: um but but that, that took us days to to find out
1: okay, so so, so you, you leave the meeting and you actually have no idea what's just happened
3: well they they agreed to it but but no we're not sure what the it was
1: wow so you're you're just you're you're dazed and confused
3: and, and also um uh the representative from l a conservancy um uh, our um, an attorney that that we had had kind of tuned in to what what was happening nobody they they asked us to to get in contact with the the city the planning desk and ask them what exactly was it that that they agreed to
1: so so we there 's nothing left to get to but the the filing of the appeal so Kate, go ahead. What, what just happened? I guess it was this week? Was, was it was late last week?
4: Last week, yeah. But yeah, before that, like, um, you know, Chrissy was way more realistic, I think, going into the council meeting. But, I mean, I, I was optimistic because, like, when we met with the council members, I, I, you know, I really felt like we were getting through to them with the information. And we were already... Basically it was it's eligible for California Register. And so we said, listen, you know, we want to keep the majority of the building, but okay, let's even if you save the first 40 feet, you know, that's okay. But you
1: know? but if you if you take off the last any any part of the building, it's no longer eligible for National Register. Exactly.
3: So. exactly. We, we were and trying so, to get them to agree that they would do a local cultural resource.
4: Yeah, so it would have protection. Um, So, I mean, I thought that was amazing that we were, you know, uh, here's this crazy historic building and we're already, you know, preservation side, we're already willing to chop it up, uh, which is something, is a no-no in general. Um, But yeah, anyway, so surprised by the decision. Um, In terms of, so we knew, I think we knew before that because we we had hired... um, Shatton, uh, Brown and Carson's to write a letter um, to the council about the the EIR and about the major problems in it. Um, great letter written by Michelle Black, uh, 15 letter 15 pages or so. It was filed on Thursday or Friday. We have no idea if I got to council or not. We have a response from Truman Elliott um that was handed out or it was on the table at the front um but our letter was nowhere to be seen so um, um yeah Truman Elliott was a
3: lawyer for oh, right. the project for the
4: proposed development yeah so you know we kind of we went back and forth kind of you know do should should we do a lawsuit because is just you know there's we're very much into what is right and what is wrong. You know, th- this is the just thing to do.
1: I think at this point everyone's aware of that.
4: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so um, we we thought about filing the the litigation. Um, I, obviously, it comes down to money, and it would have come down to doing a major kind of fundraising to do to get the money. Um, and
1: but this is this is an academic point at this point because the conservancy has done right. the correct thing. It has done what it is supposed to do, its mission statement, which is yeah. to preserve and protect historic resources in the county of Los Angeles. So, so we, I, I want I want to wrap this up because I think we've we've got all the major beats, and this is this is this is odd for us to give such a long two people, But let's just so there's a motion, an appeal in court, filed in court against the CEQA against the, the CEQA ruling. So give us give us a weather report. Okay? It's it's middle of September. You've you've crossed oceans flying by instrumentation alone. And and, and you're in this, this new place. And what do, you, what do you what do you think? Chrissy?
3: You know, we're optimistic. <laughs> we really yeah. do think that the right thing is to you know, the right thing, actually, is to save that Burkus building. <laughs> and Kate's laughing because... Oh, I, I love that building, too. I feel, I do. Yeah, because that's the one I yeah. originally researched, and so I feel protective over that. I talked to his partner who helped him uh, when he was building it. Um, and it deserves to be saved. So anyways, but the right thing should be to save both Burkus and the Wordman and Beckett building. But the next right thing is to save... Is to save that Dr. Jones Animal Hospital, the Wardman and Becca building, and it's the footprint of that building is 7,000 square feet. the The entire Melrose Triangle is 300,000 square feet. So you can't yeah. you can't save this little 7,000 foot squared building. And we've talked to people with like the National Trust, and and they've said that it's unusual that in a development that big with a building this small, it's unusual not to incorporate it. And also, the, the the thing that they're pr- proposing, it's perfectly fine for a mixed-use, glass, boxy development. Um, but if they incorporate that building and they find an architect to incorporate it, it could be just a showstopper yeah. of a development. And, I, you know, I don't, I'm not naive.
1: Chris, no, uh, no yeah. one thinks either of you two are <laughs> naive at this point either.
3: Because... But I just feel, you know, maybe as artists, like, I, I still feel like they can't possibly want to do this other thing when they could do this thing with the word and Becca building. I just, I just feel like it's so plain and as day, and that's what's going to happen.
1: But, Kate, okay. weather report, okay? The motion's been filed in court. What are you thinking? What are you looking to? What are your spiritual exercises?
4: <laughs> well, first of all, so I mean it was such a huge relief to hear when the Conservancy filed uh, It was just such a huge relief. I mean they got the okay it,
1: it was it was as if it was as if giant armies were behind you the whole time yeah. and you just hadn't looked had the time to turn around and look
4: yeah yeah
1: I, 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 be, I, be, I, I believe Krishna reminds Arjuna of this and Chapter Six of the Bhagavad Gita.
3: Yeah, to read that. Um, Is that when we had that conversation with you? Yeah. That yeah. I mean, we okay. To be honest, we were down after after the um, the council meeting, and that night um, it was whiskey and potato chips until we <laughs> fell asleep. And then I, it was either the next day or the day after that we talked with you and yeah. and we had you on speakerphone and just. Uh, everything philosophical, it just, it really, I mean, we did everything we could do. We, I, we couldn't think of one single thing to that we could have done that we didn't already do. So it was large, it really was off in another, it took on a life of its own. And I think, I don't know if you use this analogy, that we, we raised it and we gave it the best send-off it could have. And that was it. That was all, all we could do
4: yeah yeah and and those are my feelings too you know i i i trust the conservancy i trust that you know um the sequel is going to be looked at um yeah yeah and i i you know like, like like chrissy i i am optimistic that that the right thing will be done um because it is plain as day to, to me as well. Uh, the, the building is ripe for adaptive reuse. Um, okay.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Chrissy, I want you to say your name again and say goodbye, and Kate, you'll do the same.
3: Um, I'm Chrissy Gosney, and thank you for listening. I'm Kate Eggert, and yeah, thank you for listening.
1: And what do you want everyone to remember?
4: Uh, oh... Hey. Oh, yeah, Save the Building, for starters. (laughs) (laughs) But also, um, uh, we do updates and all sorts of stuff on the building and just about adaptive reuse. Um, And I'll let Chrissy say it because it's more
3: Chrissy's book. (laughs) It's a a Facebook page uh, called Save the SMB Streamline Modern.
1: Perfect. We'll put that on the website. You two were great. Thank you so much.
3: Thank Thank you. Thank you.
1: And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 29, 2014. Our guests this week were Kate Eggert and Chrissy Gosney of the Save the Santa Monica Boulevard Streamline Modern Campaign. We spent the entire single interview listening to their compelling, astounding, and wonderful narrative about this grassroots preservation campaign, which they spearheaded and have seen through To the point that the Los Angeles Conservancy has filed an appeal against the sequel ruling, which bodes well to save the building. Kim, I always we've gotten some great emails from listeners. I really I want to just let everyone listening know that we've been getting some great emails. Keep them coming. We like feedback. Tell them how they can give us feedback.
0: Here's how you can give us feedback. You can email us at ukaneathesunshine at gmail dot com or through the contact link at ww.sortoric com. You can also join us for an esoteric bus adventure. We go out most Saturdays, and it's always nice to have a podcast listener aboard. They usually say, I know that voice, or something like that, and then we all giggle at each other. You can also, of course, join us at one of the Lava events that we host. Not quite as many as when the Lava Sunday Salon was running every month, but we still have some great stuff coming up, like the Union Rescue Mission Walking Tour yeah. and Rooftop Screening, which is a, an annual free event, which... Um, Even if you're not coming, please let people know about it. We love taking people into this poorly understood part of downtown to talk about the history of the Union Rescue Mission and and missions in general in Skid Row and uh, early Pentecostalism. There's some truly fascinating stuff. And, of course, you can uh, come to the Crime Lab. And if you're inclined to rate us on iTunes, you may do so. Just throw some stars out there or say a few words. It helps other people find the podcast. Thank you.
1: Yes, Kim. Good. So you know we we're we are going to start promoting that URM walk and screen next week. I just I I didn't I didn't wanna mm-hmm. inundate for too many months. All right, Kim, good job. Keep sending those emails. I like I like writing back to people. Kim, you're gonna take us home with a list of upcoming bus tours. The first one being the newly launched Echo Park Book of the Dead on Yom Kippur.
0: <laughs> that was an accident. <laughs>
1: Oh, it was?
0: Oh, I didn't realize it. In any case, that tour is filling up. If you've been wanting to join us for that debut excursion of my first new crime bus tour in, count them, five years, you want to make a reservation on the quick side. Echo Park Book of the Dead, October the 4th. The Real Black Dahlia on October the 11th, our most popular crime bus tour in which we walk in the footsteps of the doomed Elizabeth Short, who would become, will become, is now the victim in the most notorious unsolved murder in Los Angeles history, possibly American history. And uh, we really focus on her life in the last six months of it 1946, 47, um, transient women's culture in downtown and Hollywood, the places she went, the investigation into her death, what the police did, what the newspapers did, what the FBI did, what the district attorney did, and why you should care. October the 18th, it's Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, and if the Postal Service behaves itself, we will have for sale on this tour, maybe a little earlier, but I would say definitely on this tour, um, the new map of Raymond Chandler's L.A. in the Art Deco style, inspired by the Dell mapback paperbacks that I've collaborated on with Paul Rogers, who did the cover of my novel, The Kept Girl, and asked me to work with him on this Herb Lester map. Uh, Fifty iconic Chandler locations, quite a number of which we will be visiting on this tour so if you want to see chandler's hollywood and downtown so you could get on the bus and you could buy the map when the tour starts and then you could follow along in the map
1: Right. i i would keep my map rolled up in 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 the cardboard container and, and and take it to the framer personally
0: oh you haven't seen them yet they're they're folded they're like glove box maps
1: i i would still keep it Folded up and safe in my bag.
0: Okay, I get it. It's your touring. You don't want people reading my map while they're taking your tour. I don't No, blame I you.
1: I don't want them to mess their, their map up, Kim.
0: In any case. Super excited about that, and that's a wonderful tour. I always enjoy it very much. As a matter of fact, I enjoy it so much. We have a special edition of that tour happening on Wednesday, November 12th for um, people who are coming out to BoucherCon, the World Mystery Convention, which is in Long Beach this year. It's a day-long version of the tour, starting and ending in Long Beach, but it's not limited just to mystery writers and their fans. Even if you're not attending the convention, if you want to spend a day out exploring Chandler's LA, you are most welcome. That's a midweek tour. On October the 25th, we have Wild, Wild West Side, a tour that is back from Mothballs. We haven't given this one in oh, since 2009, so yeah. that's been a minute or two. Five years. Yeah, yeah. Five I, years. Yeah, five years. I love, I love this tour. This is the tour that inspired my novel, The Kept Girl, uh, researching the grade 11 cult. We will go to the grave that is central to that narrative. We'll be talking about cults, child abuse, wicked abusive parents, and just acid freak-outs, a lot of weird, weird stuff on (laughs) that tour, perhaps, because it's where I lived when I was a very small child, before I got to West Hollywood. It's very formative, and um, growing up in Venice was strange, and and I like to sort of reflect back my experience when I write these tours. So that's October the 25th. Then uh, we have, on November 1st, Richard's Charles Bukowski tour. A tour of downtown and Hollywood and some East Hollywood rather, some locations that may not belong for this world. So if you want to see places Bukowski wrote poems about that you may not have a lot more chances to see, you're gonna wanna get on that tour. November the eighth, it's Weird West Adams, a neighborhood crime bus tour with a little jigger of social justice included. And uh On November the 22nd, it's Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice, our downtown double feature about beautiful early 20th century hotel lobbies and the god-awful things that people did to each other in these hotels. And I'll wrap up this little list with Richard's once-a-year birthday bus adventure, hosted by, guest hosted by, our dear friend Nathan Marzak, and it is a bus tour of Public Mausolea, cemetery architecture of Orange and Los Angeles counties, and there's some real gems, and Nathan knows these better than anyone, and he's able to walk you through them in a way that'll have you laughing and learning. So if you want to celebrate Richard's birthday and uh, see some really extraordinary structures with the one, the only, thank goodness, Nathan Marzak, you definitely want to book your spot on that November 29th tour, and I think that's the list.
1: Kim, you did it. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage you to continue to listen. And I want to remind you...
2: You can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La, 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 la... Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Herbina between South Pass and Highland... So cold, my